Let's go to that. Uh, let's go to that title slide. Everybody say, "How we overcome the world." That was pretty good. Should we give it another whack? Uh, let's try it again. How we overcome the world. Now, I do want to make sure I try to make this clear every service that this is not necessarily how to take over the world. I just to, to, to some people's chagrin. Um, uh, this is how we overcome. How we overcome the world. And our title uh, text, our main text this morning. Is, uh, is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, and I'm going to ask you to read it aloud with me like you believe it. Are you ready? This is the victory. Oh, that's horrible. Let's try it again. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Very, very good. There's a couple of things that we need, that we want to, a couple of questions we want to answer, some, some things that, uh, that this passage, this text asserts very strongly, and the, the glaring one is that if the title is How We Overcome the World, and this text says uh, this is the victory that has overcome the world, the first thing we recognize is the world has been overcome. Would you say it out loud with me? The world has been overcome. Well, let's ask, let's ask a couple of questions here. First of all, what in the world is the world? What does John mean by the world? Uh, in this, if 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 uh, if this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, and we say, okay, then the world has been overcome. What does he mean by the world? The world there is a in the Greek is the word cosmos, and it, it has to do usually with a, a system. That's the Greek where if they're talking about there's some system, some order, some there's there's a, a I want to say a scheme, and all already that sounds like some sort of evil plot although it could include that, but it does. It means a scheme or an agenda or a, there's a system at work. So when we're talking about the world, the first thing we need to recognize is we're talking about a system. Come on, everybody say system. So, but the best way to understand what a, an author means by a word that he uses, not necessarily to consult the dictionary, but to, but to ask that author, hey, how has the author in this particular letter used this phrase already? Has he already mentioned this, explained this, helped us understand what he means here? So we're going to do that. Okay, John, yeah, what do you mean by the world? Well, let's ask him. The, when he brings this up in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John tells us what he means initially. There's two things that he says, but here's the first thing that he says about this is the world. And he, he starts off, verse 15, do not Love the world or anything in the world. Now, it's important that we keep asking questions because right away we're worried about what he might mean. Does that mean, you know, like John hates trees? And don't, even, don't get him started on like rocks because, boy, he hates rocks and frogs. Anyway, what do you mean the world, John? Here's the, the, the very next sentence is, if anyone loves the world, the love for the, fa- for the Father is not in them. So, oh, okay. So he's, this is about affection, and there's a difference. There's a definite difference in the, di- in the direction of my affection. It's either toward the world or toward God. Okay. Verse six, uh, 16, for everything in the world. Ah, here we go. Here's what he's going to talk about. Everything in the world, and now he tells us what he means by in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
So here John helps us see that his readers, we, his readers, see that when John is talking about the world, this system, the first thing he means is a corrupt set of desires. By the world, he means the lust of the flesh, the the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's talking about corruption, a corrupted desire. Carnality, immorality, idolatry, that is part of the world. So he's not saying, he's not even talking about people or bad guys. He's talking about bad desires. These things are part of the world. But then he says that those are passing away. And that those, and there, but the will, those who do the will of God will live forever. So the desire, you got Do you see the difference? That we have affection for the world is a different direction than the affection for God, and the desires of the world are different and dying, and they are opposed to the will of God. So, the world. The first thing we see about the world is the world is a system of corrupt desire. The second thing that we see is a couple of chapters later. He brings up the world again. (laughs) And it's in chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. 1 John, John's first epistle. Here's what John says. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Wait a minute. Now he's talking about a spirit, not just a system of corrupt desires, but an actual spirit. There is a spirit in the world. The world in John, so far, this is basically how he's categorizing the world. The world is a system of corrupt desires, and it is a spirit. There is a spirit in the world, and he calls that spirit... Antichrist. Whoa. Now, if you've been around for a while, there's my dad. Dad's wondering. Dad, dad's getting a notebook because he's like, this is the first time in 15 years my son's mentioned Antichrist in church. And what's he going to say next? He's either excited or nervous. And some people are wondering, oh, good. He said Antichrist. He's finally going to tell us who it is. Is it Putin? It's got to be Putin. I'm betting on Putin. What do you think, Marge? Putin? I think it's my Putin. I think it's Putin. No, it's not. You know what? Oprah. It's not Oprah. It's not Putin. It's it's a spirit. The spirit. Listen, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ is not from God. There is a spirit that John calls Antichrist that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ. That is more than just saying. Well, it would include saying, look, I don't even believe he's, I don't even believe there ever was a Jesus. Of course, it would include that. But that it is, it is, it is not sufficient to say, well, yes, of course, we believe that there was a, a Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, after all, Josephus recognizes him. Different, different historians recognize that he existed. That is not sufficient. He is not saying that, that, that the spirit of Antichrist is, will even say that. What he's, this, you've got to get into what John is saying. John has a high view of Christ. So for him to say does not acknowledge Jesus Christ means it is a spirit that rejects 
the claims of Jesus Christ, the identity of Jesus Christ. It is a spirit that rejects, denies, and rebels against the the truth. Our faith is that Jesus Christ, that God became flesh. He is in the. We, this is the incarnate Jesus. God did become flesh. It wasn't a ghost, and it wasn't pretend, and it wasn't an imagination. That God became man, and that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil and then he was crucified by unrighteous men according to the scripture he and he and he, he died on a cross and he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead because it was not possible for death to hold him in the ground And he rose again and then ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father and has poured out the Holy Spirit. And he is coming again and he will reign forever. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and his kingdom shall have no end. And ever so we shall be with the Lord. That that, that in his resurrection it is the fruit, the first fruits. It is the sign of the age to come. That eternity is real and Jesus is Lord and he's coming back and we should live like it. And any spirit that denies that is Antichrist. And that is the spirit that's in the world. That says, no, no, no. There is no, there is no lordship of Jesus. There is, I will not live. I will. I resist that. I reject that. So the, John sees the world as a system of corrupt desires that is under a spirit that denies and rejects the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the world. Here's verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, normally, I know we, we, we quote this as in bumper stickers, and it's on, it's, on our, it's on our refrigerator magnet and stuff like that, and it's on our Bible bookmark, greater see this. In, but we know, we, usually, I think, usually when we read verse 4 and we see greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, usually, typically, we sort of <clears throat> overly summarize that he who is in the world, usually people are talking about the devil. Oh, that, that you're talking about the devil. And, and we're not not talking about the devil. But in this context, it's really important if we're really going to get our faith on. If we're going to overcome, we've got to see this clearly. John is not changing subjects in verse 4 from verse 3. In verse 3, he's saying, Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is coming and is in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to say amen. I'm not trying to get you happy about it. But, I, do, do, but this is what John said, right? Right? Who's in the world? Spirit of the Antichrist. What does verse 4 say? But greater is he who is in you than he that is in the... What he means is the, that Christ in you is greater than Antichrist in the world. Now, that might become as a little bit of a surprise to folks that have played pin the, day, pin the tail on the Antichrist for so long that have, uh, that have been looking for a good reason to be afraid of somebody for so many years that you're almost disappointed. Oh, no, what about the boogeyman? 
Greater is he that is in you. The Christ in you has, is, was, has been, always will be greater than the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. This is what John is, this is what happened. The world has been overcome. <sighs> What's happened to it? The world is this system of corrupt desire. The world is this spirit of Antichrist. What has happened to it is it has been overcome. It, and that's what John says, it has been overcome. That word overcome, I think, is probably stronger than you think. It does not indicate, well, it was a tough match, but uh, by split decision, Christ won. <laughs> in, the, in the 17th round, Jesus finally... The word overcome here means to vanquish, prevail against conquer so you might read uh this is the victory that has vanquished the world i'm gonna go talk to my mom this is the victory that has vanquished the world this is the victory that has completely prevailed against the world this is the victory that has conquered the world the system of corrupt desires and the spirit of antichrist this is the victory that has conquered that and this is a this is an aorist verb it meaning this already happened the corruption and decay of the world its lust its desires its pride have been overcome and the spirit the power of the world that spirit that wants to reject christ and and deny him and rebel against him has been overcome question is what did it what what does the text say what has overcome the world well what's it say this is a this is the victory that has overcome the world what has done it what has overcome the world our faith it says the victory that has overcome the world is our faith now in your bibles the word victory and overcome are, are very different very different language but i believe in the text they're just nuanced differences of the same word meaning it should sound it should sound somewhat like this the overcoming power that has overcome the world is our faith and if you want to have a lot more fun as i told jordan for service they're all just textual variants of the word nike victory, overcome, fight, conquer. They're all just different nuances. But John is using a, a not a, just not a play on words to be tricky, but he's trying to drill something into, into the heart of his audience. So he's saying, this is the overcoming power that has overcome the world, even our faith. Your faith, your faith is the overcoming power that has overcome the world. Not just any faith. It's not multiple choice faith. Anybody with faith? No, no, not any faith. Not, not pick a world religion and run with it. Not all paths lead to victory. This is not, not our faith. Not just blind optimism. Not faith in man. Not faith in human nature. Uh, what's that song? Brother Saltwasser? Put my, put my faith in modern man, right? Is that... That is an old song. You know that way. Am I doing it wrong? Am I saying it wrong? I'll ask you later. I'll text you. But modern man. 
He knows. I'm just getting it wrong, but you, you know the song. I know you do. It's right here. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kate. So we don't, not faith in human nature, not faith, not faith in whatever we fancy, but, our, but a specific faith. Verse 5 clears it up for us. It's not on the screen, but verse 4 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And then John wants to remind his audience what he's talking about. Verse 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? By the way, look at what John's saying. Here is the overcoming power that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Three times he uses that word now. Who is it? The one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the faith that overcometh the world. That's the faith. That's the faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And why does that faith overcome the world? Because Jesus is the one who said, Jesus, John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, take heart. Let your hearts be strong. Let your hearts have courage. Let your hearts have hope. Let your hearts rise. Why? Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. Understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has destroyed the power of sin and Satan and evil. He has overcome. Somebody say, he has overcome. This is our faith. This is our faith. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe he has overcome. We believe that in his death, he dealt a fatal blow to the world. How did he do that? He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took our punishment so we could have his peace. And the Lord has laid all of our sin upon him. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. All of that's Isaiah 53 and Colossians 2. He dealt a fatal blow to the world by his death and by his resurrection. He has set in motion a renewal. By his resurrection, he has set in motion a new creation. This is the victory. The world is passing away. It's dying away. And he could, because he has already set in motion something new. In his resurrection, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In his resurrection, you You have been raised with Christ. Christ is your life. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And one day, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Because of his resurrection and his return and his reign, there will be eventually, someday, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he is making all things new, and those who overcome will inherit all of this. This is the future of all who believe. And this is why it's the victory that has overcome the world. 
Okay, but the question is, how does our faith overcome the world? Who is he that overcomes the world? That's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's also a present tense. There's a, like a present tense participating with what has already happened. Our faith has overcome, and he, the person who overcomes is the one who believes. So right, there's a right nowness to our faith. How does our faith, how do I live today like an overcomer? How do, I, how do I live today participating, connecting with, living in the light of what Christ has already done? That's, a, that's an important thing. It's one thing for us to say, yes, we believe Jesus Christ has overcome the world and high-five each other and shout and thump our chest and thump our Bible and say amen and leave. But there's got to be something that translates to how you and I are living. Right? And what are we going to, how do I live in the reality of what Scripture just said? I believe, how many believe Jesus did all the stuff we said that he did? Well, what, what, what does that look like? How do we do that? The Bible says, say, how does, the question we need to answer is, how does our faith overcome the world? How do we live like an overcomer might be a good question. We have to recognize that we, our faith overcomes the world because our faith has an aim. Our faith has an aim. Now, again, I, 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 I always hesitate because I'm about to look silly, but it'll work. I am not, uh, Mike, I'm not really outdoorsy. Uh, uh, what? You don't say. Shocker? Yeah. Uh, 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 I, had to, I, had to, I had to ask the other day, about. I was talking about a hope scope, but I had to make sure that the scope was the thing on a rifle that you looked through. And he said, yep, that, somebody said, yeah, that's what it is. But... Uh, but I, I, I think, and, I'm not, and I also am not super coordinated. I lift heavy things slowly. That's my wheelhouse. But allegedly, our aim is pretty important. Am I right, Brother Detective Saltwasser? Okay. What we aim at matters. What you aim at matters. Pretty much what you aim at should allegedly determine everything else. Aim goes first. Right, and and our and, and our faith is has a definite specific aim. That aim is this Hebrews chapter twelve verses one and two. Let us therefore throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run somewhere. Not run, not run willy nilly. Not run like the chicken with the head cut off, but run somewhere. Aim somewhere. You're going somewhere. Run with perseverance the race that you got to start. You got to middle in the thing, a place where you stop. Run with the perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, in Oklahoma, fixing means you're about to, okay? But, it's, but it actually means to put it there and keep it there. <laughs> in Oklahoma, you say, well, I'm fixing to. That means you're just getting around to it eventually. But, but it's just, I'm not getting around to it. I have fixed, I have put my eyes on Jesus, and you don't take them off. Our faith has an aim. And you will get in trouble when you take your eyes off the aim. When you aim somewhere else, you're going to end up shooting somewhere else. You're going to end up running somewhere else. You're going to end up going somewhere else. You're going to end up saying something else. But if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, you can't follow him without fixing your eyes on him. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. I fix my eyes on his lordship, on his reign. I fix my eyes on Jesus. And I will not be distracted. I will not be discouraged. I will not be hindered. I will not be entangled. Because I fix my, my faith has a very specific aim. And because our faith has an aim, it has an action. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So faith acts. Faith moves. But here's the deal. Faith acts according to its aim. I fix my eyes on Jesus so that I will obey Jesus. I fix my eyes on Jesus so that I will imitate Jesus. I fix my eyes on Jesus so I will talk like Jesus. I fix my eyes on Jesus so I will act like Jesus. I will love like Jesus. I will forgive like Jesus. I will be like Jesus. Our faith has an aim and an action. Friends, if you don't get anything else, your faith has an aim and an action, and that is how you overcome the world, by living radically different, transcendently different than the world around you. you their eyes are over here, and they're going this way, and they're going that way, and it leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to dismay. It leads to friction and fissure and fracture. But if you will fix your eyes on Jesus... You will obey him. You will imitate him. And that is the path of life. It is the path of hope. It's the path of mercy. It's the path of forgiveness. Come, let the afflicted hear and rejoice with me. I have fixed my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to live a radically different life. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light. I'm going to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Everything about me looks different because I'm looking somewhere different. Faith says this is what is true. Therefore, this is what we'll do. What we do is determined by what we know to be true. Because of Jesus, because I fixed my eyes on him, I act differently. Because of Jesus, I fixed my eyes on him, I, I, I resist evil. I confront it and I resist it. Because of, I fixed my eyes on Jesus, I cling to what is good. And I get up. The next day, and I do it again. Because I haven't taken my eyes off of Jesus. He's still ahead of me. He's running with me, but he has modeled the way. i got to finish this race. So faith, see, faith removes us. It rescues us from the decaying influence of this world. But it does not excuse us from being a saving influence on this world. My faith rescues me. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm rescued from this world's decaying influence. But then I am assigned to be a saving influence on this world. Why? Because I've got my eyes on the save. I've got my eyes on the one who came to save. Because I've, I'm looking at the one who came to save. So I'm going to act like him. See, if I've got my eyes on Jesus, if you, look at it, your, your faith has, a, has an aim and an action, and it should never include condemnation. You can't because Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save it. <laughs> so you should, be, you should be a beacon of hope. You should be hands of healing. You should be, you should be the gate of mercy. If Jesus did it, that's what you do. 
If he said it, that's what you say. Your faith has an aim and an action. Overcoming faith has an aim and an action. It lives. Overcoming faith lives. Would you all say it lives? It lives. It's alive. No less than four times in the scripture. Is, it, does this, is this passage affirm that the righteous person lives by faith? Four times. It starts in Habakkuk, goes all the way to the book of James. But here's it, here it is in the book of Hebrews today. Hebrews 10.38. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So we're talking about overcoming faith. Overcoming faith doesn't shrink back. Overcoming faith lives. It moves forward. My father-in-law used to say, if faith were a transmission, it wouldn't have reverse. It also doesn't have park. It just has different levels of drive. It doesn't have neutral. Not a very good transmission, but it's a good faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But I think that we should emphasize the word live. Our faith must be alive. We cannot pra- you cannot practice your faith in a coffin. What I know, what I'm saying is this faith doesn't run for the hills or reach for rifles, it imitates Jesus. In a world that is in conflict and in chaos, faith is not doesn't give in to the shame squad. Faith does not yield to the canceled culture. Faith is not overcome by the anxiety society. But neither is faith crass and harsh and, and, and abrupt. No. Faith acts like Jesus. It's just a, it's just a, it is a radical opposite spirit. We are not over, we do not, we do not, as we said last week, we don't repay evil with evil, but with blessing. We don't scream at the Antichrist, we follow Christ. <laughs> you know what? My wife just said we don't scream at Oprah, or Jordan did. And you guys, I'm leaving you home next week. <laughs> Say it. Save it for the comments. <laughs> Faith may suffer. Opposition, contention, resistance. Faith may suffer, but it does not surrender. Because of faith, because of what we believe, we live. We live. We live by acting according to our aim. We over, how, what, is the, what is this overpowering uh, force, this overpowering, this power that overcomes the world? Our faith. And we overcome the world by living our faith. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's how you overcome the world. Let's pray together.
you can stand with us as I would just pray. I'm gonna the worship, I'm asking Aaron to sing that first song again for us. So Lord, we, I just thank you, Father, that we overcome the world by our faith. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be encouraged. And even on Monday morning, we're going to wake up and we are, we are overcoming the world by our faith. It, it's easy to sit here in the seat and hear all these truth bombs being poured over us and come into agreement with it. But I admonish all of us to wake up Monday morning and have that same bold love, honor, and hope faith that we don't have to scream, but we can show our faith to the world. We can, can live. Our faith lives and has hope. And so, Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name.